When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell here with my co-host George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Freeth as we look to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action and the small matter of two FA Cup semi-finals as well. Eric Ten Hag has agreed a deal in principle with Manchester United to become their next manager in the summer as exclusively revealed by the Athletics' David Ornstein earlier this week. Steve, I'll come to you first. Is that the right choice? Can I sit on the fence and say that time will tell? Um, sure. I, I personally, sure. I would have gone for Pochettino. I think obviously the PSG gig is, uh, I know you look at that front three and think, well, this job's easy. I'd imagine it's quite hard to manage those uh, those egos there. And Ten Hag, of course, has he's won a couple of championships in, in the Netherlands. I think he's, he's, he's long odds on to, to, uh, to win a third one as well, as well as some cups. And I'm just waiting to see how, you know, he'll go down in, in, in that dressing room. Uh, I'm quite excited also to see how he does over here. He's, he's come from a well-run club, as we talked about, you know, going to Manchester United this time. Will he play some young players? We've seen James Garner do particularly well, as George would be well aware, at Nottingham Forest this season. Will he be getting a sniff? Will Ronaldo go in the summer? Some big names have, could be leave from that dressing room. Pogba, Lingard, Mata. So I'm interested to see how this Manchester United side will look next season. We still rate them as fourth favourites, Dan, and they'll be around 6-4 to four to win a trophy under Ten Hag. So we still fancy the biggest trophy drought in 40 years to continue next season. Yeah, it's actually a really good piece on The Athletic at the moment by Jack Pitbrook looking at Potichino and what's potentially next for him after missing out on the Manchester United gig. George, which of the current squad is this good or bad news for? Is there anyone it really benefits except for the obvious Donny van der Beek when he returns from his loan spell? <laughs> yeah, you'd think it probably would. Um, at you'd least hope so good for the news lad, for him. The poor yeah, lad. I mean, although knowing the way that Van der Beek's uh, career has gone so far at United, you wouldn't be too surprised to see him still sold in the summer. Um, but you think it would be good news for him? Uh, you know, we don't know at this stage. Um, the interesting thing that isn't necessarily good news is you look at the way that Ten Hag has built this Ajax side, and he has often kind of recruited uh, and I know that he of course isn't in charge of, of the recruitment at Ajax but a lot of his um, key players have been have been senior players you know you look at the recruitment of Sebastian Haller you look at Dusan Tadic who came in two players who, who came in from mid-table sides in the Premier League you look at Dali Blint as well you know he isn't necessarily a manager who's going to come in and want to invest a lot of uh, faith and time and, and money in youth players um, so th- in that sense could it be good news for the likes of Edison Cavani for, for Cristiano Ronaldo even for Paul Pogba that he might want to keep on the side some of the senior players even those who haven't necessarily been as good as United fans would hope the, the interesting thing for me with Ten Hag and this isn't me saying he's going to be a success or a failure but this is the first time since Sir Alex Ferguson left Manchester United where they've appointed a manager who has elite level experience 
whose career is on an upward curve and who hasn't kind of been been shown up who, who basically if he didn't get the Manchester United job his next job would have been at a European elite club you know you think of when I used to argue with United fans on, on Twitter about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer they'd say you know we, we tried the elite manager thing with, with, with Van Gaal and with Mourinho but it didn't work well you tried to appoint two managers who had been world class, who realistically, in, in the Van Gaal sense, had all but retired from from club management, and in the Mourinho sense, had just undergone a very difficult stage of his career where it felt like he'd been found out. Both of those stars, their stars were falling, and I'm not saying that he is going to be of that level, but at least for once, they've invested in a, a manager whose star is is rising, who yeah. you know ha- has has prior experience that eclipses what for example, David Moyes has done at Everton in terms of being at an elite club. And at least it feels to me like they are giving themselves the chance to effectively ride on the coattails of someone who could be a very, very good manager um, who could rise to the very top and take them with him. Remember, you can sign up to Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months and check out all the brilliant writing from the likes of Nick Miller, Michael Cox, and there's also more on Ten Hag's Manchester United, as well as various podcast episodes, a tactical breakdown of what Manchester United fans can expect on the Athletic Football Tactics pod, as well as the usual serving on the main pod and our Manchester United pod, Talk of the Devils, all ad-free if you are a subscriber, of course, via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod. The first game we're going to look at on this week's preview is Spurs v Brighton, which is the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. George, last week did feel like a massive week for the top four, a big swing, and we've said it was Arsenal's to lose previously, and now it feels like it's Spurs' to lose. Yeah, it really does. Um, Tottenham's form in the last few weeks has been... Uh, I don't think we can say it's gone under the radar. I know that, Dan, you certainly, with all of your podcasts, it did, feel go like under it. my radar. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's the manner of wins. You know, you look at their last six games in the Premier League. Um, they lost one, three two um, at Old Trafford in in that in that game. But except for that, you t- you take the five wins either side. It's a and they five- were good in that game as well. They were good, and, and it's a five nil win over Everton, a two nil win at Brighton, three one win against West Ham, five one against the Inform um, Newcastle, then four nil against Villa. They aren't just beating teams; they're absolutely thrashing teams. It, it feels like they are playing at a level now where. It's basically where we see Chelsea, um, City and um, and Liverpool at. Not in terms of them being as good as them, but just when they're playing against other Premier League sides. They're not just better than them, but they're able to turn their dominance into, into thrashings, basically. Uh, and that is going to make this very difficult for Arsenal because Arsenal come here off the back of, or come to this weekend off the back of two pretty poor results. Um, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the, the pitfalls of maybe putting too much credit um, at... Arsenal's door given or Arteta's door given their favourable fixture schedule and I think it's interesting to note that basically this run of form under Antonio Conte has come at a time where Tottenham are out of of Europe that they were knocked out of the FA Cup as well by Middlesbrough just before this run started and suddenly now that they're playing one game a week rather than two games a week they are a completely different side I know I sound like a broken record here but I don't think you can overestimate how important that is and how much of a difference that makes to these sides that they're playing one game a week and now that Arsenal and Spurs are playing on a level playing field it feels to me like Spurs are clearly the better side between the two and in the way that they're playing at the moment and the way they're operating at the moment and as such it seems clear to me that the Spurs are the more likely to finish in fourth. Is that reflected in the odds now, Steve? Yeah, big swing, Dan. There were 10 to 11 each or two 
before the last round of games and it's now 4-11 to 11 Spurs, 2-1 to 1 Arsenal. So huge swings, three defeats in the last four for the Gunners. Um, the, the other game was against Villa, who are playing like they're al- already in a Villa. So it's definitely advantage Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, top four is huge for any team that makes it. It would be huge for Manchester United, I think, in the current landscape. It'd be massive for Arsenal because I think it would be unexpected. But how much does it matter for Spurs, Steve? Because... You've got to think about the futures of Conte and Kane. They'd, they'd probably both be in doubt if Spurs didn't make the top four. But if they do make that top four, then the field could go yeah. into next season feels quite big as well. Yeah, of course, they got the window right uh, very late. Um, yeah, very uh, yeah and so. with the champion, the lure of Champions League football as well, Kane and Conte still there. Uh, it's We tried to do the outright odds with a look, uh, Dan, for next season. I know George will be interested in this. If, if Conte mm. and... Um, Kane are still there. I think we'd make Tottenham fifth favourites around around sixteen to one for the title, which is their you know their shortest for a couple of years. But if they were both to leave, would be around forty to one for them, and Arsenal would be shorter around the twenty five to one mark. So, you know, still, we still think it's going to be dominated by Manchester City and Liverpool four to five, two to one ish, and we don't know what's going to happen with Chelsea, do we? As yet, as regards to them going forward, but they they will be still third favourites, just a little bit shorter than Manchester United. But yeah, sixteen to one Spurs, it could be it could be exciting times. I think if Spurs made a couple of signings, George, I think their starting eleven could potentially be stronger than Chelsea's. If they got a couple of signings right. I think they've got more firepower. I mean, they've certainly got more options. That there's no denying that Chelsea would absolutely love to have Harry Kane or or Human Son in their in their team at the moment, with that glaring hole needed in terms of having a having a goal scorer. And I think the other thing is there's been so much talk about you know Petrici since, since he came in at, at Spurs in terms of the managerial saga last summer, with him being appointed halfway through it and then seemingly trying to go after most of Syria, uh, and then getting the Nuno appointment wrong. But but actually, you look at Spurs's. January business and and you know in, in Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt you could argue they've maybe had the best window of anybody they've been two transformative signings in their team two players who've completely elevated what they were doing before and has taken them to a place now where you know I'm sure if you go back and listen to us chatting about the top four race back in January we didn't give them much chance of doing so so um, you have to invest on the back of that business and the work that they did some faith that they're going to get it right again in the summer so Right now, you know, I know that there is um, optimism around Manchester United, understandably around the appointment of Ten Hag, but given what we've already seen from, from Antonio Conte, and I know you're taking a leap of faith here that Kane and, and Conte are going to be there, which isn't necessarily going to be the case, but I would I would definitely rather be with Spurs over United next season at this point for to finish fourth or, or in a match bet. Yeah, there's another piece up from James McNicholas on how January's actually been the major swing in the top four race, Steve, and how Juve have uh, played the part because Tottenham did get January right. The two players that they've brought in have improved them tenfold and made them a lot stronger. I mean, I spent more in Asda today than Arsenal spent in the January transfer window. <laughs> so, but it does feel that, 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 that what's happened in January could be the be-all and end-all come the end of the season. And it was late business as well, wasn't it? Wasn't it very... Yeah, but good yeah, business. Well, that's it, yeah, ad- 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 admittedly. You know, I, I, I kind of think, well, that's a bit of a rush job, really. You know, you know, tr- trying to get a couple of new faces in, you know, and uh, and, it, and it's clearly it's clearly worth the treat. The pair of them are playing absolutely fantastic football at the moment. So Manchester United are four favourites for, for next season, Steve. What, what is that based on? I think that's a, a fair point and people listening to that will be maybe a little bit surprised compared, you know, because Manchester United are in a bit of a, a bit of a state at the moment. And, you know, Ten Hag will need to... Uh, find his feet whereas Conte's been there just for a little bit 
Um, I, I will reiterate that these are just tissue prices at the moment and, and we're not totally sure yet whether Kane will stay. We're not sure yet whether Conte will stay. So this is where we, if you asked me today for a price, that's where we, we would be because there's so much uncertainty around so many months before the start of next season, basically. Yeah, and if you're interested to learn more about Spurs, there was a podcast on this feed that came out Thursday looking at Spurs' recent improvement. It was with myself, Flo Lloyd-Hughes and Charlie Eccleshare, who knows everything there is to know about Spurs and did actually point to the fact that they would finish in the top four a few months ago when everyone said he was mad. So yeah, if you are interested in Spurs, go back and listen to that podcast all about how less Spursy Tottenham are looking under Conte. George, I hope you're going to be better at pronouncing this guy's name than I am. Moises Caicedo, I'm going to go with in my dulcet, brummy you tones. You say Caicedo, I right? say Caicedo. I think I think we can we Caicedo. can agree to whichever one it is. Um, he he looked yeah. like a very good player on his on his Premier League debut. For, let's just get it straight into it, Dan. We'll, we'll ignore the pronunciation. Um, yeah, don't let me talk. He um, he looked good, didn't he? I mean, it was interesting reading Graham Potter's um, comments after the game about him because he's, he's a player who they brought in. Um, from uh, from Ecuador um, back in, in back back in last summer, and he went out on loan in Belgium uh, and did okay, and came back. and And Potter just said, you know, we were in good form when he came back, basically. And and you know, even though he's a player that we we really rate, um, whilst we were playing well, we didn't really feel like it was it was right to bring him in. But you know, results obviously tailed off. Um, Moda has, has has got an injury, a serious injury that's going to rule him out for a long time, and and out of nowhere seemingly he came into the side and, and was very good you know he played a part in Mwepu's uh, second well Brighton's second goal Mwepu's goal um, with a, a lovely bit of interchange down the left hand side I don't know how much credit we can give him for the cross I don't unless he he did actually, have a little look he well, had a little look unless he actually has eyes in the back of his head I, I, I think even when he had his look I think Mwepu was, was closer to the halfway line than he was to the penalty box but um, but either way it was a, an unbelievable goal aesthetically very pleasing and a brilliant strike from Mwepu who Himself is is a, a player who I think is very exciting. You know, he came in last summer. His start to life as a um, Brighton player has been slightly stop-start because of it, uh, fitness issues. But when you're looking at the pure numbers of things, you know, he's, he's started eight games in the Premier League and five substitute appearances, 726 minutes, and he's got four assists and two goals. I mean, those are... He feels like a bit of a wild-card player to me. Proper numbers, yeah. And then, and then he's, he's played 157 minutes in the League Cup and scored a goal and got an assist. You know, he looks like a a central midfield player who who's basically got a bit of everything who can create and, and score goals as well so we know that um Brighton's recruitment and their their worldwide scouting is is incredibly good so it shouldn't be a surprise that these guys who they go and sign um are, are capable of doing this but it does bode very well for next season again where you know two players who haven't been a massive part of, of what has been another decent season for Graham Potter's Brighton um, who are probably going to grow into their roles. And, and if Eve Basuma does end up moving on, as he's often touted to do, you know, these are two centre midfielders who haven't played much this season at, or, or, or at all, really, in the case of Saicedo, who are going to who are going to step up to the plate, you'd have thought, in the next campaign. You know, Andy Naylor described it as Brighton's goal of the season, Steve. How close are they to being a top side? And, you know, if, like George says, if Basuma goes, if they've already got talent there, where would you see them finishing next season? What, what I bet three six five say? I mean, the five to one done to finish in the top half this season. I think there's still a little, you know, work to do for them to do that. And look at the points over the last few seasons: forty one points last season, forty one points the season before. Remember their great start to the season. The Graham Potter loving was absolutely in overdrive, wasn't it? Everybody's, ev- I've ev- never, I've everybody's never seen, I've never been on board with that. I've seems never been on board with this. You're wrong, Dan. Everyone seems to love this bloke. I mean, prior to the Arsenal win, I, I, yeah, I do. They'd won. 
three games, <laughs> aren't they? Uh, Brentford, Everton and Watford. The home fans have seen 10 goals at home all season. And I just felt that the home fans were getting just a little bit nervy about just the lack of goals. Clearly, yeah, like a lot of people, I'm in the I'm, I'm in the massive four Potter camp as well. Um, I'd love to see him at the Albion. Let's play for Albion. He also played for, for Stoke as well up here. I was just looking at the relegation market. Again, just rough tissue prices, you know, what Brighton would be next season. And they wouldn't be a massive price. They'd only be around four to one to be relegated. I mean, Bournemouth, Fulham, of course, and whoever comes up will be the first three favourites to go down with Brentford, Leeds, your team, Dan, Southampton, and then Brighton, probably throwing Everton at five to one as well. So we would still see them as as, as more relegation candidates than top half candidates uh, next season. Yeah, after for some reason, I've never got fully on board the Graham Potter train, but maybe it's just me because it does I seem think, everyone loves it. In fairness to him, you know, a lot of what is... Um, the downfall of Brighton had been that they have been the the team, ironically, because you know Tony Bloom and his and his millions built on 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 football betting and the rest of it. They've been the team who who always consistently underperform their xG. And I think as a manager, your job as a manager is is to set up a team to do two things: is to prevent your position from from creating good chances and to get your team in a position to do so. So I, I basically don't think you can ever level a criticism against a manager of their team being wasteful ever, especially one like Potter where he has such little say in in terms of the players that they're signing and who they go out and sign. He might say, I want a striker, but I can guarantee to you that Graham Potter is not out there sourcing lists of strikers to to, to, to present to Tony Bloom. They have a network of of scouts and, and data analysts and the rest of it who'll, who'll look at this. So we can't level that criticism at him. And then you look at the style of play and you look at how quickly he took a side who were built under under to play away, which was Chris Hutton's way, which is complete chalk and cheese with what he's... he uh, he. Potter likes to play himself and as a fan yes you're going to be frustrated that you can't put the ball in the back of the net but the, the passing style the attacking fullbacks the amount of trust and faith that he places in young players to, to perform and basically express themselves on the football pitch if you're a fan uh, there's there's nothing about what Potter's done in my view that would make you make him seem like an uninspiring candidate to manage your team apart from the fact maybe that he's He's English, and that doesn't seem to be particularly uh, fashionable these days. I, I think he's the closest thing England have had to a potentially elite-level, you know, English manager for for as long as I can remember. And, and I think whoever whoever takes the the punt on him, and, and I think it will cost a lot of money. We're talking player transfer money to get him out of Brighton. Uh, I think will be rewarded for it. Uh, and they also always. Uh turn up against Arsenal, which I'm sure the producer loves as well. Four wins and three draws in the 10 games that they've played against them. Four, yeah. four points off them this season. They were 5-1 to one to win there last week, which was a great result for the bookmakers after six defeats and a nil-nil draw against Norwich. And, and, and that one goal scored by Lewis Dunk as well. And we've seen them against the better sides this season get results, you know, in their, in, in their defence, the draw at Anfield, um, which they had, of course, the two 1-1 draws with Chelsea as well. And so let's see how good they are travelling to Spurs and Manchester City next. They are streaky, Brighton. If they if they lose one, you would you would probably see them lose three or four after it. But when they do win, they do tend to go on runs. They've done a great run earlier on in the season. So yeah, you're right. Will be interesting to see what they do against Spurs. You're gonna have Chris Wilder on the phone to you as well, George, talking about Potter isn't the They're only the level English coach. They're, Not mentioning Wilder there. Don't he will worry. be on the phone to you saying, "What are you doing, <laughs> sir? You haven't bigged me up on this week's podcast. What's your tip for the game?" Early days, Dan, early days. Uh, my tip here is goals, I think. Um, you know, as uh, Spurs games recently, I'm not going to read out their 
um, recent results for you, but they have found an attacking Thanks. verve. Um, <laughs> they've found an attacking verve recently under Antonio Conte, and, and their games are pretty end to end. Brighton with little to play for, apart from playing party pooper, a role they played very well last weekend as well. It should be pretty open. I, I can't see why it wouldn't be. Brighton have no reason to try and drop in and defend, um, and it's not the way they play anyway. So over two and a half goals is ten to eleven here. Pick and price is the two, and I think overs is is certainly more likely in my in my head than unders. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. Next up, we've got the FA Cup semi-final. The first one of the weekend is Manchester City v Liverpool, a redo of last week's Premier League game at the odd time of 3.30pm as the kick-off there. There's been so much brilliant writing on the site in the wake of that captivating 2-2 draw last Sunday, and we've had the Champions League game since then as well. Steve, I feel like Liverpool have come out of, of this week as the, as the real winners. They got that point back. They've rested players in the Champions League. Man City have had a real tough one at Atletico. So Liverpool coming to this on, on Saturday, I think, a bit more refreshed than Manchester City. Spot on, Dan. The market certainly thinks that. Manchester City were actually clear favourites to win this game previously. Um, market's changed now. Could even be Pickham. Liverpool may be even favourites by the time they kick off. Such has been the swing at the moment. Of course, you know, that ill-tempered clash that we saw in Atleti as well. City battered and bruised some of their... Players, we don't know how fit they're going to be for the weekend. Klopp made seven changes. Uh, Mane on the bench, Salah on the bench as well. They'll be they'll be a lot fresher. We've also moved their odds, Liverpool, to win the quad as well. They're into 14-1 to one to do that. So it's uh, it's looking good on that front. And last week, what a brilliant game it was. Yeah, again, it's one of those games that you're, you're looking forward to this weekend. And there's another free £5 bet for new and eligible customers as well on the game as well at Bet365. Well, so yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to both semi-finals this weekend. Uh, George, the widespread opinion seems to be that Man City attempted to out-Liverpool Liverpool last week and on balance they probably were the better side, especially in that first half. Pep did one of his little tactical tweets, so Bernardo Silva sat in next to Rodri and they went a little bit more robust in the middle of the park with two sitters and De Bruyne had more of a free roll as a number 10. At the time of recording, we actually don't know what's happening with De Bruyne. He hobbled off in the Champions League tie. That would be a huge blow, wouldn't it, no De Bruyne? It'd be a massive blow. 
Um, you know, he's been one of the most in players, uh, most informed players in the Premier League in the last few weeks. Um, he has been, you know, a goal scoring force for them in recent weeks as well. Obviously, opening the goal scoring in this game too. So, it, it would be a massive blow. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting game. It, it kind of reminded me quite a lot of the of the game uh, early between these two earlier in the season, where it finished two yeah. two. City seemed to be the better team for most of it, but a couple of lapses in concentration and a couple of moments of quality from Liverpool saw them get the points. You know, clearly Liverpool um, with the away team in this one, and, and naturally weren't able to create as many goal scoring opportunities as, as they usually do but they'd have been you know I, I think it's a pretty good uh, point for them despite it the fact that it, it means that the the title still stays in in city's hands um but this is a completely different test you know it was interesting to see uh, before the games last night that you know city were i think even money weren't they steve for the for the league game uh, on sunday and they were five to four before the games yesterday so that suggested only a you know a five or six percent chance uh swing in liverpool's favor despite this being played at wembley rather than at the etihad but um but since then we've seen um after last night's games we've seen a, a bit of a drift in the market for city out to eight eight to five and there isn't much between the two going into this one which seems probably fairer um i thought bernardo Silva was one of the best players, if not the best player on the pitch for, for City on the on the day. I thought he um, his athleticism in midfield enabled them to kind of win that midfield battle. Um, and I guess because this is the FA Cup, we, we might see a more rotated City side. But I think Jurgen Klopp made his intentions when it comes to, to this game pretty clear by the amount of rotation that he made in, in what was a Champions League quarterfinal, you know, where they weren't home and dry. It, it looked to me to be pretty risky going into the game to make the amount of changes that he did. But they've come through. Yes, they didn't beat Benfica at home, but they've come through unscathed. And now they've got plenty of players who only played 30 minutes or so who normally would have played the 90. And that probably does play into their hands. So I, I think it should be... Probably less. I mean, it, it sounds wrong to say less one-sided when City haven't been able to beat Liverpool over two games. But I, I have a feeling the pattern of this game might be less um, Liverpool trying to uh, not necessarily even catch them on the break, but, but trying to soak up pressure for, for longer periods of time. I think we might see something more of an end-to-end game in this one. Yeah, while well, we've touched on De Bruyne, let's talk about player of the year again, Steve. Mm. Still six to one, Kevin De Bruyne having a good end to the season, which is sometimes critical when these when these votes come in. I'm lost with the Player of the Year awards now because I would have said Salah was a certainty. I think he's tailed off over the last month or so. I'm not sure now that that he is. Yeah, we had a we had a brief conversation last week, and I found uh, it was a good chat. Uh, I mean, Mo Salah's still two to seven. It was another Premier League game that he didn't have a shot on target last week. I know he, he had a couple of chances and 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 and, and did okay. And KDB is 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 six to one uh, to win it for the third time. No player has ever won it three times on the bounce. It's an online vote, so uh, yet again, I think it might change next season. Kevin De Bruyne's odds have shifted from fourteen into six over the last few weeks as well. Harry Kane's fourteen to one. I don't see that personally. Bernardo Silva twenty five. Van Dijk twenty five. And I know we've George will no doubt talk about the player he likes um, pretty soon. I mean he's he's a He's around the sixty-six to one mark as well, so it's a big old, some big old prices there. What's Trent? I've got a feeling for Trent, you know, fifty Trent. Oh, that's where I'll be looking, you know. When is the vote? I, I don't know. I'm guessing it's still up until uh, it's still available for the next couple of weeks, maybe till the end of May. Uh, sorry, the end of April. That that is just a guess, by the way. I, I do not know. I think I'd be backing De Bruyne at six to one. Um, you've got City are, are currently the likelier winners of the Premier League. 
um, this award often goes to the best player of the, of the winners of the division rather than necessarily the best player in the division. Um, and if you had to say right now, and recency biases, I'm not saying I think he should win it, just you no. know, from, a, from a pure betting perspective, um, recency bias plays a massive factor. And there's no denying that in the last four weeks, um, De Bruyne has been a better, more effective footballer in the Premier League um, than Salah. So... If I said who should win it, I would probably be a Salah Cancelo one-two. I'm by no means advocating backing Cancelo because I don't think he will win it. But if I was to have a bet in this, it would be the the six to one about De Bruyne. Yeah, defenders. Recent history, defenders that have won it: Van Dijk in 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 nineteen, John Terry won it in in '05. Goalkeepers are very rare. Norman Hunter and Colin Todd two uh, were were winners of the first two, and Pat Jennings was the third one with Andy Gray, the famous Andy Gray of Aston Villa, fourth with Peter Shilton fifth. So normally it's it, it is attacking players with the likes of Ronaldo and uh, I, I know N'Golo Conte also also won it five years ago as well, but he's generally an attacking player. You know what? I think fullbacks are so on trend at the moment. It's a fair shout. I think it's, no, it's I think a fair share. Fifty to one trend. Twenty five's trends. I've just gone. I, I, oh, twenty five. No, sorry, I, thought you said I did, but you've mentioned it, so I'm just. I'm just. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll get on that quickly after <laughs> just the show. And Cancelo as well, because I know I know George is a big fan like me on Cancelo. So I'll, yeah. I'm tell, I, I, honestly, I think one of them two could come through and be a real surprise. I'm looking at that as soon as I as soon as we get off this podcast. <laughs> I'm having a little look. Now there's plenty of talk about these two's rivalry, and it is. It's not. I don't think it's as intense as other rivals have been, but it's a great rivalry just because they're so, so good. And, and people have been outraged to discover that Kevin De Bruyne and Virgil van Dijk get on pretty well away from the pitch. Where would you rank it in historic Premier League rivalries, George? It depends the way you want to rank it. I think in, in a pure footballing terms, we are absolutely yes. blessed to have these yes. two teams playing against each other and fighting out at the top end of the table. And it's a massive shame that we were starved of that last season when... Um, Liverpool had so many injury troubles. I think when these two teams are at their very, very best, it pushes, um, you know, the United and Arsenal rivalry from from the Wenger and uh, and Fergie days very, very close. It, it clearly lacks the needle of those games, and I think we just have to accept that. And it's not going to happen. There's probably too much respect between uh, the two managers for that to happen. Uh, whether that's faux respect or not, I know a lot of people are convinced that Klopp and, and Pep kind of put on their their respect, but I'm not entirely sure. You saw their their embrace at the end of the game on Sunday as well. The, the games between these two sides never tend to be particularly uh, heated or, or hot tempered. Uh, they're just absolute feasts of football. So. Um, and also, I guess, in terms of actual playing style as well, I know Arsenal fans, including the, our producer, probably will question this, but you know, the, the football that these two teams play um, is both similar in, in terms of the way that they like to keep the ball and move the ball, but just totally different in terms of the way they like to attack uh, on the ball as well. Um, two high-pressing teams who, when they play against each other, it normally makes for a, for, for a brilliant encounter. So we, we might not get... Uh, Salah missing a penalty and and Amaric Laporte jumping around him and hitting him on the head afterwards. But certainly we, we're, we're we're pretty lucky to be enjoying. You know, people often say how lucky were we to be um, to witness Ronaldo and, and Messi at the same time. Well, I think we're pretty lucky in the Premier League to have Liverpool and uh, well, Klopp's Liverpool and Pep's City uh, fighting it out year on year. Yeah, and Steve, just when we thought these teams couldn't get any better or stronger, Luis Diaz enters the Premier League. His tally of three goals and one assist in 14 appearances in all competitions probably doesn't really do justice to the scale of the impact he's had. And James Pearce has been writing about how quickly he's adapted since arriving in January. He's a potential match winner on Saturday. Didn't start at the Etihad next week. I would say that would be a surprise, but then... (laughs) 
Then you've got to leave one of Jota or Mane out to get him in the team. You know, Liverpool's front options are just so blessed. And you now Luis Diaz has added that for me. You know, he's probably fifth choice in that attacking front three now. That's incredible. Yeah, we saw him, of course, in, in action in, in, in the Champions League in midweek, uh, Firmino. But yes, Diaz looks like he's, he's played here for a while, doesn't he? I think he adapted very quickly. Uh, I think some people might be surprised by those stats you gave out at the start there, Dan. You know, the rave reviews he's been getting, but... Passes the eye test. Oh, 100%. And of course, he was was heavily with Spurs, wasn't he? Uh, You know, imagine what Spurs would be like if they got him. Liverpool got in before him. He's he's, 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 he's fitted in very well. Linfield taking English. And, you know, so I've been reading as well. So... Looks a good time for Liverpool. And uh, yeah, I think we're all looking forward to this game. Let's hope it's a cracker. And give me a tip, please, Steve. I think Liverpool win this. I know the price has gone, um, but I, I, I think Liverpool to win in 90 minutes and both teams to score around the four to one mark. Let's turn our attention back to the Premier League and then game three is Newcastle v Leicester, which is 2.15 on Sunday. And George Colkin has been writing typically brilliantly about how it feels to be a Newcastle fan six months on from the takeover. Let's hear what it's been like for him covering his beloved club during this time. I'm imagining it's going to be a lot better than the time it was previous. Six months ago, I went to report on Newcastle's match at Wolves. They lost 2-1, which wasn't a surprise at all because they were not winning pretty much every week. Um, But what really shone out for me was, in fact, the opposite of shine. It felt so dull, so apathetic. Uh, The whole club felt aimless and shapeless and, and hopeless. And I knew loads of people in the way in that day and they all to a man and woman said exactly the same thing that it was the quietest and the lowest that they can remember and it just felt that the club was stuck in this rut this very deep rut that nothing was ever going to change I remember Steve Bruce talking afterwards about trying to find a balance into his team and I scratched my head a bit because it sounded so familiar I went back through my notes from the Wolves game the previous year and he'd said almost exactly the same thing and that pretty much summed it up and I remember driving home that night and I called one of Amanda Staverley's associates and was chatting about the game and she was still saying back then that she was very confident that she would get hold of the club and it could be very soon but it just felt so distant it felt like such an unlikely prospect at that stage anyway four days later the takeover happened the whole place changed now last Friday Newcastle played Wolves at home and the atmosphere could not have been more different. They won. That's still something that takes a bit of getting used to. And it's a huge three points that leaves them uh, very close to, to safety. And the other thing that takes some getting used to is everybody at St James's Park being there with the same cause, being there for the same purpose. Everybody behind the team, united, good or bad, come what may, Although that sounds like a very basic thing at Newcastle, it's still a shock because for 10 years or more, you would go to the stadium, people are there kind of under sufferance and people are shouting for Mike Ashley to leave, sometimes for the manager to go. There's been this real sense of discord uh, on Tyneside where the match has felt like the bit that ruins the weekend as opposed to being the thing that the weekend coalesces around and so the game against Wolves yeah there were nervy moments but the stadium was full of flags beforehand war flags the fans group uh, are back in the stadium now they've done so much to improve the atmosphere on the day in question members of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust met Staveley and Murdad Gadusi, her husband who are running the club 
um, something that never happened with Mike Ashley and putting in place hopefully the skeleton of a working relationship that will be there and that will help drive the club forward. It was a really big day on and off the pitch and a good day and yeah, take some getting used to. Newcastle fans, the full article from George is a must-read and you can, of course, hear more from him on our Newcastle United podcast, The Pod on the Tyne. It's not David Brent, but I bloody, bloody love George Calcinada. really enjoy <laughs> listening to hear what he has to say. Yeah, hearing George there, you know, a lot has been said and written um, about the Newcastle takeover, but it, I guess it gets lost in amongst all this just how far that club had fallen under Mike Ashley. You know, for these fans who had to... For, for George there to talk about winning a game of football as being something so novel in the Premier League for, for a club that 20 or so years ago were challenging for the Premier League, um, it was a sorry state of affairs. And, you know, that that those debates uh, will, will rage on, and rightly so, and it's a conversation that should happen. Um, but on a very, very base level, you have to be happy for Newcastle fans that there is a club for them uh, and to support and, and success, hopefully, for them in the future. Yeah, and before we get your tip, George, Steve, let's talk about Keenan Dewsbury Hall. Neat and tidy footballer for Leicester in that midfield. Has made a difference since he's, since he's come into the side. Some goal against Palace last weekend. Yeah, he hasn't got many this season of course he had a good learning curve as George will be well aware at, at Luton and also Blackpool as well uh, previously to that he's I, I managed to get a chat with uh, Jeff Peters of, of, of Talk Sport when I was at Birmingham Albion uh, a couple of weeks ago now and we, and we did talk about him and he actually told me that he thinks he's a runner for Leicester's player of the season such is the impact that he's actually made there he did say that he thinks James Madison will probably win it but you know, it goes to show how much this lad he's he's coming to the side. He's he's you know box to box. He's always looking to move the ball forward. He was telling me it looks like he's been playing in the Premier League for years and years. So he's obviously created a very good impression with less well-known Leicester fan Jeff Peters as well. It's uh, it's an exciting time for uh, for the boy. And of course, Rogers has talked very highly of him as well. So yeah, it looks to have a, a bright future. Justice for Daniel Lamarty and the Player of the Year awards. George, how does this one play out? For all the you know the positive talk here about um, about Newcastle, they are short in my book here. They're, they're six to five to win this game. Leicester twenty three to ten. Um, I know Leicester have had a pretty poor campaign, um, and they were pretty fortunate to be honest to beat Crystal Palace last time out. But when you line these two teams up, there's no question to me that that Leicester have the, the better side and have higher aspirations as well. So I do wonder if the market's just moved a little bit uh, too far in favour of Newcastle here. Um, so not a strong one, but I'd be pretty happy to back. Leicester, you know, bigger than nine to four at twenty-three to ten um, to take the game to Newcastle here and, and spoil the party. Thanks very much, George. Final game we're going to look at today is the second FA Cup semi-final. It's Chelsea v Crystal Palace, Sunday at four thirty p.m. Unbelievable Champions League week yet again, Steve and Chelsea. They did everything they could to get through, and then as soon as they got themselves in the position, they shipped a goal to the irrepressible Kareem Benzema. Harsh exit, tough exit at the hands of Real Madrid, wasn't it? Oh, wow. I mean, Chelsea were actually backed to qualify before the game from 7-1 to one into 11-2 to two before it kicked off. I I backed them at 50-1 to one on uh, on Tuesday morning to win the Champions League. Did you? Oh, that would have been absolutely, <laughs> you'd have been absolutely gutted, especially as they were 1-14 to 14 at, one to 14 to qualify Georgia at, at three in the up. Admittedly, I was at Burton Wigan watching a nil-nil. So I, I, I turned on the radio <laughs> as, I, as I got back in. I was, I was, 
speaking to the guy that was that was driving my driver, and I uh, <laughs> I said to him, "Well, you had that from corporate, <laughs> yeah, Burton." <laughs> Come on! Still corporate. You were still in corporate. There's no way you were. You were just in the normal service. There's only I've so many. I've been corporate at Burton. Nice curry. Burton is Burton is one of my favourite uh, football clubs. Just going off at a tangent. I've also sponsored the match ball there as well. Ben Robinson runs a very good club there, and John Brayford. Well, is... Stay Frith personally has sponsored the match ball. Yeah, I did. Stay, I the, did. The, the Stay Frith. The Stay Frith match ball. Oh, no. oh, that must that must be worth pennies. The it... Stay Frith match ball. Oh, he's got it. Of course he has. It's great. It's great for a podcast, but there it is. The, yeah. Steve, the Steve Fraith match ball. Wow. Yeah, Chelsea were, were so far on the bride, like I said to George there. They were 1-14 to, to qualify. It was just, wow, what an ending. Missed chances. I was saying to him that, well, Ancelotti's got to go after this. This is it. They can win the league by 12 points, but he's gone. And all of a sudden, he's made a couple of substitutions and they're back in the game. And that's it. It's Champions League at his finest. And I was a Burton Wigan. George texted me at a very confusing time in that game about Angelotta. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what was going on. I was, um, I might have been watching uh, on a BT online uh, rather than uh, on my Skybox, which meant there was a little bit of a delay. I texted you at 3-0 saying King Carlo and about 10 seconds later I saw yeah. um, Rodrigo score. <laughs> but I mean, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, it is injustice. Um, Chelsea were, and I know I'm no, I'm no Chelsea fan, um, but Chelsea were, were clearly the better side over two legs, but were by far the better side in the Bernabeu. Um, and Carlo Ancelotti was bailed out by one of the best passes I think I've ever seen, um, which I, I don't think we can necessarily give him uh, massive credit for because Chelsea tore Real Madrid open pretty much at will. Uh, and as you say there, Steve, had chances late on in normal time to, to win the game, having even having conceded um, the Alonso disallowed goal was one of those disallowed goals where clearly it was the right decision but at the same time until 18 months ago that would would have stood in any game uh, only with the you know the the forensic checking of, of VAR did was the was the handball noticed and the changing of the rules as well so you've got to feel incredibly well I know a lot of people won't feel sorry for Chelsea fans but you have to appreciate how hard done by Chelsea were over two legs here and um and as far as I'm concerned Real Madrid have qualified against both PSG and against Chelsea whilst being the worst side by a distance in both ties. Um, Carlo Ancelotti just absolutely blessed in the Champions League. There's no other way to put it. King Carlo, as you said. Now, it's nothing to do with the game and I'm not even going to frame it as a question. I'm not even going to try and frame it as a question because I believe that it's true. Luka Modric, I just think he is one of the best midfielders ever. He's built like Tiny Tim. He never gets knocked off the ball. He wins the ball back. He never misses a pass. His passes are always the exact perfect way that they should be. His centre of gravity is unbelievable. Is he one of the best to ever play in the Premier League, Steve? Uh, yes. I mean, he, during his spell here, he wasn't one of the best in the, in the Premier League, was he? I think his last season um, I, was was decent. People mentioned his slight frame, of course. you know, He could play for anyone now still, I think, at 36, 36 in the Premier League. Yeah, get yeah. every team. Yeah, he was definitely quicker and stronger by the time that he left Spurs after all those early, early question marks. I think Fergie was a big fan of his as well. I'm surprised he never went to Manchester United. He left for Real Madrid. He, I think Jose signed him. He had to work himself again to just to be proven, I think. I think Graham Hunter tells me he was labelled one of the worst signings of the season when he first joined. Um, so he's had many a, a year there now. He can play all sorts of positions, still fit as a fiddle. And we saw his quality. I mean, he's, what, he's won a golden ball. He's won the Ballon d'Or. He's won God knows how many trophies at Real Madrid and how many trophies during his career. 
absolutely fantastic footballer and he can still do a job I'd, I'd definitely have him down the Albion Dan I don't know about down the Villa yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh, I take him in the Villa midfield at the moment that's, that's for absolute certain I mean he's won more trophies than Steve's been into corporate so that's absolutely saying something Lukaku George well, let's get back to the game we've been looking at Chelsea for Crystal Palace and yet not talking about the game at all what is going on what is happening I mean, he he didn't travel, did he? Um, no. To Madrid, so there, there there has to be whether you believe it or not, there is a fitness issue. Um, seemingly at the moment with, with Lukaku, um, you know, he didn't um play at all against Saints either. Um, so something's clearly up. Uh, whether or not um that fitness issue is is really true or not, I don't know. But at the same time, it, it would, in my opinion, be a, a massive surprise if Thomas Tuchel and, and Romelu Lukaku are both at Chelsea next season because he quite clearly doesn't fancy him and doesn't really want him to be leading the line uh, for Chelsea. The issue Chelsea are going to have is going to be shifting him because I'm, whilst I'm sure there'll be plenty of suitors, whether there's anyone who can pay the kind of money to recoup some of the losses they made from the transfer fee, I don't know. Uh, his wage, but his wages are obviously massive as well. So that's going to be the issue. And then the other thing that Chelsea have to work out is they, they need a striker still you know I, I'm a huge Kai Havertz fan uh, I think he's a brilliant footballer and he's going to he's going to continue to improve but he's not someone who is going to be a prolific goal scorer he, they need to find somebody who can score the kind of goals that you know Liverpool have with with Salah that, that Spurs always have with with Kane until this season where they've got two and now now Son is doing it as well you know they need to find someone who can put the kind of chances that Pulisic and uh, Havertz wasted on Tuesday night. But their record with buying strikers is so bad. It's just, it's, it's, it's cursed. It's what, you know, you have to go, if you take out Diego Costa, you have to go back to, to Didier Jogba. And, and we're talking nearly 20 years ago if you do that. I mean, it's, it is, um, for whatever reason, that they can't seem to, despite spending so much money on players who are seemingly the elite in Europe, they arrive at Chelsea and can't perform. So, of course, they have Armando Broja coming back next season, who's shown himself, I think, to be a pretty exciting striker at Saints. He's not going to be a prolific striker, but he's someone who could maybe do the, the Giroud job and, and at least be a, a focal point up front who can who can get the ball to stick and, and players like Havertz and Pulisic can play off. Um, but where they go in terms of their attacking options for next season, I, I don't know and I don't have the answers, but selling Lukaku might solve one issue which is what to do with Lukaku but it doesn't solve the issue that he was brought in to solve Timo I'm trying to think of somewhere Lukaku could end up as well there isn't anywhere they've got one haven't they they've got Timo what a man I mean, in form, mate. If he plays Southampton every week, he will... I, mean, I, watch oh, I, loved, the, I loved his goal. I, I mean, watched one of the best of the deflected goals you're going to, you know, or like oh, heavily yeah. impacted goals. Last Sunday morning, one of the kids got up at stupid o'clock. So I ended up uh, getting up about six and then put match of the day on. And it seemed to be on... He seemed to have a, like a million chances. Uh, he had eight chances. He seemed to hit the bar quite a few times as well. I think he hit the Woodworth three yeah, times. I mean, he, he, he had eight... eight, eight Eight shots, I think he had down there. Um, of course, we know about his finishing last season as well, where his his his, his xG was double his goal scoring return as well, and he had a decent game ish. I'm told in in midweek as well. So, again, you know, he's another one. Clearly, he's not going to be the answer you wouldn't have thought, but he seems to be hitting form just at the end of the season. Yeah, his movement's incredible. He never never stops moving. He's always on the move. Makes some great runs. Doesn't always get found. But I still think there's something there for Werner. He's too good a player. I, I think something will come right for him at some point. Whether it's at Chelsea remains to be seen. Because like you say, buying a striker and Chelsea doesn't seem to be going together at the moment. Now, Steve, what would the FA Cup mean for Crystal Palace? It'd be great to see them win it out of all those teams. Let, let's be honest. And it would provide them with European football too, which would be nice to see with some of the young players in their, in their squad. But it would mean a hell of a lot, wouldn't it? 
Oh, massive. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I I asked to produce this. I, I tipped up them and West Ham at, at the start of it. And listen, guys. That, you definitely tipped yeah, Palace. Yeah. You definitely tipped Palace, the, I remember. They're still 14 to 1 outsiders of, 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 of four, of course. But I enjoy watching Palace. Maybe that's because of a person that isn't going to be playing in this game, unfortunately, which is Conor Gallagher, who, of course, was that's at the miss. Albion. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a huge miss. Um they're aiming for a rare top half finish under under Vieira as well. As we know, the squad has been has been freshened up. There looks to be some inspired signings. As I say, Gallagher not been there, but I'm sure it'll, it'll be there watching the game as well. And I will be delighted to see Palace go through. And I think they've got a hell of a chance of causing quite a big upset in this. Chelsea have won the last nine games against uh, against Palace as well. They did beat, when I was a lad back in 1976, they beat Chelsea in the fifth round with a certain Peter Taylor getting on the score sheet twice with an assist. So I think there could be a shock in this one. Yeah, it could be tight this one. Chelsea could be jaded after after a tough midweek. Crystal Palace have had that free week. be interesting to see what happens, see what Vieira's game plan is, because obviously he had a great one against Arsenal a few weeks back. Steve, what's your tip for this one? Who do you fancy? Yeah, I am going to go keep it simple. Have Crystal Palace to qualify just a bit shorter than 3-1 to one to get through to the final. Thanks very much, Steve. And that's it. We're done. Just enough time for me to remind you before we go to subscribe to The Athletic today. Gain full access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months. If you visit theathletic.com slash football pod, you should see that offer in front of your eyes. Thanks ever so much to George and Steve as always. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribers to The Athletic and Apple Plus should also keep an eye out for the new bite-sized Ornstein on monday podcast that's available every monday lunchtime you'll be shocked to learn and it's on this very feed mark chapman and the main podcast available as per usual from monday evening you've been listening to the athletic football podcast have a great weekend and enjoy all the football